and Ed. Hello, I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And welcome to the Lack of Focus podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lack of Focus. Um, tonight, we have our good friends, Ed. How are you doing, Ed? I am fantastic. How are you, sir? Doing good. Chris, how are you doing? Oh, good. Thanks, Sean. Well, this is going to be kind of a different show. This is what we usually do on an in-focus that we used to do. But we're going to... We left it linger way too long. Way too long. So I'm forcing it into a lack of focus. And But before all that... Probably better that way. Probably better that way. Yeah. But before all that, we'll get into... uh, the things that we have been doing the last uh, couple weeks. And uh, Ed, we'll start with you tonight. I haven't been doing a ton. Um, unfortunately, I had to cancel my 40K night this past week. Um, as has, for whatever reason, we've been having server issues. And Tuesday night, I was all ready to go. Everything was going to be perfect. Everything was going to be fine. And then like around 4 o'clock on Tuesday... We had things crash that weren't supposed to crash. That becomes Ed's responsibility. Ed gets a, gets the stuff escalated to, and then I sat on my computer in the living room for about four and a half hours. So unfortunately, I had to cancel my 40K night. So I didn't get a chance to play 40K. I want to. I desperately want to. There's a brand new rule set, a whole new Arc of Omen thing going for how you build armies in 40K. I'm really kind of curious to kind of play with that new system. Um, they've basically kind of chucked all of the detachments out of not only the main rule book, but the other rule books that they've printed up before and said, basically take what you want. You have to take one HQ, three of any other choice, and that's your army. And then you can just take whatever you want. I fundamentally have problems with this. Um, I feel like this is the same thing that they did in seventh edition, whenever they had formations and the fact that what I, I personally believe that the heart and soul of 40K lies in its troop choices. Um, It's always been one of those things that it kept those min-maxers of having to at least put a a tax on building their armies. And there were advantages to having troops in the game. And I know I keep always going back to the same thing where I always said that was one of the things I absolutely loved, 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 loved about 5th edition was that troop choices were the only ones that could score objectives. Period. End of discussion. And in a way, that is the way that Ninth Edition is as well, in the fact that they're the only ones that have objective secured. So if you're sitting on an objective and I'm sitting on an objective because I have objective secured and my guy's a troop choice, I still, I hold that objective, you don't. Now, they kind of did a little sprinkling throughout every little codex where they put, well, okay, your troop choices are objective secured, but uh, like Gabe's, for example, his Death Guard, his uh, Death Draw Terminators are also objective secured. So it gave you another option for obsec in an army, but it's usually very limited with the way that they're doing these formations. Now, nobody's going to take troops, nobody, because troop choices by definition are the lowest level, lowest strength level, like almost without exception. There are a couple of armies that I would argue that there are some good troop choices, but everyone's just going to not take them. So it's super strange to me to think of a space Marine army without space Marines in it. Like, they're only going to have the elites. They're only going to have the heavies. And that's what ended up happening towards the tail end of 4th edition, where the compensatory choices was one HQ, two, and two troop choices. 
you would take the bare minimum, no upgrade troop choices, and then everything else would be, you'd fill out your lead slots, you'd fill out your heavy supports, maybe you had some facet text that you would like, and you just had like, I don't know, 110 points spent in, in troops. That's what I'm afraid that we're getting to um, by doing this. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I personally feel like they could have balanced that with some of the missions and said only troop choices can do this, only troop choices can do that. And I think that did see some stuff over there, but I haven't gotten up to the damn store to get my hands on my book that I know is sitting there with my name on it because Stephen called me and said, hey, are you picking this up? Yes, yes, I am. As soon as they, I, should, I should go up tomorrow is what I should do. Um, so yeah, so I'm really excited to kind of try it out because it's either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. Uh, the community seems to think that it is a good thing, but a lot of the people that I listen to are, are listen to on YouTube or listen to in podcast form are all the competitive players. And of course, that's what they're going to say, because they don't want to spend the tax on fielding troops. Aside from that, um, I'm halfway done with my insanity uh, run through Mass Effect, the Mass Effect trilogy. Uh, still a fantastic game. I am. If we're not doing it in a video, I am wearing once again my N7 sweater, just in case we are doing video tonight. Um, but uh, the Dead Space remake came out uh, yesterday, Friday. Well, it came out like late Thursday night. I guess you could do like a midnight release. I'm too old for that shit. Uh, I'm not doing that. Uh, it would take probably another Star Wars movie in the theater for me to do one of those things. Like where you like, you know, I'm going to go to the midnight release kind of thing. And then you skip out and work the next day. Like I'm, I'm too old for that shit. But I did pick it up on Friday. I don't know what all the complaints were about in the beginning when people were complaining about it. It's fantastic. It's everything that I wanted it to be. It's as equally as spooky and scary. One of one of my favorite genres by bar none um, in video games is the survival horror genre. And Dead Space for me is one of those top five in that category easily. I mean, it's right up there with like your Resident Evils. It's right up there with Alien Isolation in my book. Um, it was one of the first games whenever I started playing in the seventh generation that I knew I had to play um, because it was on the PS3. So you had Dead Space 1, Dead Space 2. And yeah, there's a Dead Space 3. Forget that one. Forget it exists because it's totally different from the other two games. Um, so to see it remade, and this is this is a remake like the way that you want a remake to be done. Um, it's it upscales the graphics. It changes some of the wonky mechanics that were in the old PS3 version, um, specifically things like the way that zero G used to work in the PS3 version. You had to do like these little Superman flies through the boards. Um, now you just have free motion and free movement to do through it, which is fantastic. They've changed some of the levels to kind of accommodate for it. Um, but it still is equally scary. Uh, you still have those eminent jump scares. I just got, um, I think I'm about five hours into it. So I just got the first tentacle drag of the game. And it, even though I knew it was coming, it still scared the shit out of me when we did it. And it's in broad daylight. Like, I'm not, like, playing at night, you know, under head under the covers. Like, I, like maybe I might have done my first playthrough with uh, Resident Evil way back in the day when the PS1 first came out. Because I remember that game scaring the hell out of me. But even in broad daylight in my living room, it's still, like, I still feel tense, which is what I want out of a survival horror game. Um, so, uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to get it, or if you're going, if you're holding off and you do normally I'm the, I play games on dad time and that I wait for a game to be out for over a year. So you can pick it up for like half price or less, um, used this one was like, Nope, I need, I, I am paying full cover price for this one. I totally wanted to play it. Um, so highly, highly recommend it. If you haven't, if you haven't had a chance to play it yet. And that's kind of it. That's all I've really been doing. I didn't really get a chance to do much else. Um, 
just now getting used to the fact of having two days at home again, which is kind of nice. That's super awesome. So to be able to, wow, I get two hours a day, every day in, in, um, the, the trip to and from work, I get to sleep in an extra hour. So like my days on Tuesday and Wednesday are three hours longer of stuff that I wanted to do than it was before. So that's fantastic. But yeah, no, that's about it. As usual, Chris will carry the segment for us. <laughs> it helps when you work in a game store, I'm just saying. It doesn't. It doesn't help at all. I know, because you're actually working. You can't tell you the, I can't tell you the number of friends that I've had that have tried working at our local game store, and they're like, oh, but I don't get to play. Like, well, yeah, because you're working. Yeah. It's a job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, Chris, what have you been up to? <laughs> So, I don't work at a game store anymore. I'm on um, on parental leave now. Oh, that's right. I guess you would be. Um, so, Dice8 um, is currently contracting uh, and consulting for a game store. Um, so, that's been going great, because I don't get paid, but it's fine. I still get to uh, spend all my time in a game store. And I do a lot more... Um, how to put it, like, stuff that I want to do. So I've been, I think I said I, I wrote a Test of Honor campaign system last week. I was talking about that uh, on the last show. Um, yep. So I did Test of Honor demos um, last Tuesday. And I, I was like doing that for three and a half hours straight. I think I must have ran seven or eight demos for different people. Um so it's cool. I love Test of Honor. It's a cool um, samurai movie style um, skirmish game uh, between like Ooh. five and I think the most models you can field in a full size game would be um, 19. I think you could get to 19 if you pushed it and like really min maxed the, um, the troop spam. What but, genre is it? That samurai, so feudal Japan. Oh, right, that, right, right. I forgot yeah. we were still on this trip. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's good fun. We really enjoy it. I've I've got more um the campaign starts properly tomorrow. So I'll be interested to see if people actually come out to start playing and like what clans people pick, because I'm gonna like just give it a couple of weeks and then I'll swap my stuff in. But um, we've had that. I had to cancel um, Arkham this week. I had to Aww. cancel X-Wing last night. I cancelled 40k today. I've just been trying to... I, I'm already... Obviously, the, the website isn't live yet with um, like product for you to buy. So I'm stressing would be the wrong word, but I'm kind of realising how much work is involved in getting that up and running. Uh, as a one-man show, and that uh, Jill's been uh, Jill worked two shifts uh, last week, so I'm like woefully unprepared for being a parent again properly. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's been a lot going on. Um, I think my stress-induced heartburn has been back, which has been awesome. You know, nothing better than feeling agonizing pain for like three quarters of the night and then um having to care for children get up early take Eva to school there's no it's not like she's at daycare anymore so if i felt crappy i could kind of 
just oh yeah do you want to sit and play on my phone why i definitely don't just sleep in bed next to you um, <laughs> but it's actually having to get out of bed take it to school keep my baby alive uh, so wednesday was horrendous and then friday i did it yeah it was friday i did it again and that was fine i just got everything done i did housework the laser wasn't working um but i managed to like, find time to get through to tech support and fix fix the laser um so that put me behind on like production as well and yeah it's been just all around crazy but yeah. games i actually got to play um i ran the first session of the um, chinook squadron championship series for x-wing um which was um three rounds of just playing chance engagement i played in that um and ran it we had 16 players which was um a really good turnout for us like for an unofficial unsanctioned event that's like that's relatively okay if that had been first edition i wouldn't have been upset for that kind of turnout for you know that kind of impromptu tournament with no it was there's no new kit you know there's no new prizes um, right. that kind of thing um and we still got 16 players out of a couple of regulars who couldn't go um we had three returning uh 1.0 players um we had one um relatively new player um but so yeah like x-wing community is growing again which is great to see um i ran um the uh, it was basically a siege of coruscant list so using the standard world out cards and then i allowed myself one ship that i made myself so i ran anakin in the y-wing um with uh, proton torpedo um sync synchronized console dorsal turret P commander cody for the gunner and maybe there's another upgrade in there somewhere and i'm forgetting but his job was just to wreck uh wreck one thing and try and bully you out and just make you want to kill him because he's scurry and does a lot of damage but secretly the arcs do all the work but if you uh if you're focusing on the arcs, you die too easily. So, um, I I won my first game, which was a randomly was against a brand new player. Um, we played like four rounds, and I was really trying to. I wasn't worried about winning or losing that game in the slightest because, like you guys know, I I'm not. I don't really put too much stock in my uh, tournament results anyway. But I well, and that and against new players, it doesn't really. Well, it's not even that. It's like I I fired the proton torpedo. Um, I, I I fired everything at his cheapest ship, um, and killed it. So I I was like ahead, but he should have caught up. But we only ended up playing like four turns, and I spew like a really random dice roll where i got like three natural hits and he blanked out got me half points on a different ship which i hadn't factored in getting the half points for um so because i thought it was going to be a tie and then would have just rolled off for a win was what i was kind of aiming for um 
but I miscalculated and um, an edge of the bell curve shot got me the win. So that was fine. Uh, then I played one of the... Uh, I remember Alex was um, a relatively solid player from 1.0, but I'd not really played him that much. Uh, he was playing First Order, and um, I kind of went in and wasn't worried about it. It was very methodical, and I've, I was like, this is going to be easy. And then the reverse happened. I I just couldn't sneak the half points through on a ship um, after like, a full round of shooting, and then um, lost that game by a point. Um, and then the last game was against Clay, who's an experienced 2.5 player, so we just actually had a full-on uh, game. He was running um, a Rebel Alpha Strike list, so it was three Initiative 5 pilots, Luke, um, Wes Jansen, and Corrin Horn, and then Fenro in the Chief of Peace to coordinate them at I-6. Did I hear two X-Wings in an E-Wing? Uh, no, it's Corrin Horn in the X-Wing. Oh, so it's Cornhorn in the X-Wing, so three X-Wing. See, yeah. if nothing else, that is what AMG is absolutely doing correctly, is they're still keeping the, the fundamental ships, in my opinion, still relevant. Yeah. Three I-5 X-Wings, um, all with solid abilities, three proton torpedoes. And um, I thought, well, I can't let him shoot the arcs. So I we set up. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give you three points. And I, I flew, flew my A-wing, uh, not my A-wing, my V-wing in. And I managed to sneak two damage through onto Fenro. And then promptly got annihilated by proton torpedoes and range one shooting from my next wing. Um, gave him a three-point start in turn one. And then I don't think he scored points after that, other than like center objective points. Because I'd... In letting him take that bait and fire some torpedoes, I kind of broke up his his approach. I managed to finish off Fenro in the next round because I just went all in to get that I six coordinate off the table. Um, oh, jeez! I got a dog was... that just scared the crap out of me. Hi, Peanut. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was good. Uh, so I won that game. So I think I finished fourth fourth overall. But you know, it, it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't my most memorable of tournaments, shall we say, because I had a relatively easy uh, easy field and still managed to drop a game. But really good fun, really good turnout. Everyone enjoyed it. And that was running chance engagement for all three and kind of, I'm going to make it a series so that your placements from this one will affect your seeding for the grand final kind of thing. I like that. I like the way that that works out. Yeah. Um, I played some Dungeons and Dragons on SWAT. Um, so that was good fun. I, uh, I played the first scenario for that. And we I think we finished in a draw. Uh, we played the, the starter scenario out of the box uh, for that one. And it's uh, only three aside, which is uh, the demos I've been running were two models aside. This one lets you run three. And Sue ran. Um, the Harpers and I was the Zentrim, and I didn't read the card on um, on one of the enemies that we were fighting. There was two gnolls and then each other, 
If you kill a null, you score one victory point. Sorry, two victory points for each null. Uh, null you kill, and then one victory point for killing your opponent's opposing player characters. And then there's four treasure chests, and you gain one bonus point for each item you control at the end of the game. So I killed both of the the nulls. I managed to sneak a cheeky fireball in to get the last points of damage on the one that Sue was trying to kill. So I I was up 4-0, and then um, Sue... uh, and we were both 2-2 two, two on the treasure chest, so it was like 6-2, really. Um, but then, because I'd not read the, the card on the null, we actually have, if you leave the space, you get to make a reaction attack against you um, if you try and disengage from them. Um, so I'd already moved away and moved on the turn, but then I read it. I was like, oh, so do you want to roll an attack so you see what happens? And it did two damage to me, which then meant that Sue's... I was on two damage after Sue would attack me, which meant that Sue's attack would have killed me. So she uh, dropped one of my fighters like in turn three or something crazy like that, which was holding treasure. So I dropped that, and then she was going first next time. So she had one point from killing a guy and the treasure. So I was like, oh, it started getting chancy. Um... But yeah, I didn't kill any of her fighters. She killed two of mine. I survived at the end with like one hit point left or something crazy um, after weathering a turn of, a, of just getting beaten around the face. And um, <laughs> yeah, uh, for the last little bit of the game, I, the upgrades for this is entering Paladin. Uh, what was his name again? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, I'll have to start remembering all of the character names. It was Bedlam. Um, Rikopix with Clanless or something like that. I don't know. I'm gonna have to, it's not in front of me, so there's zero chance I'm gonna pronounce it right. <laughs> and um, that Brachiel or something like that. But he um, hit one of his upgrade cards, just gives him extra armor class and extra armor for everyone with all of his friends within two. Yeah, and then the magic Bra- item, Brachiel the Paladin. Yeah, Brachiel was the guy. Um, so he, I think, if you were shooting him from more than range one, he was armor 23. So I was like, yeah, I'll be all right. I'll, and obviously Sue then rolled like a 25 or whatever and just hit me anyway. <laughs> but it was fine. I lived with like a sliver of health to make it a draw in our first game. So that was good. All right. Um, so yeah, so Test of Honor, um, Onslaught, and then... I'm currently painting um, the is it the pain boss, the beast snagger um, arc medic person. There's there's one arc medic that's just for normal arcs, and then there's a beast snagger one, which I think is the pain boss. Um, I'm painting one of those, and then I'm going to paint the uh, the runt herd special character so I can drop my arc war boss on Squigasaur because mm-hmm. it's just too good. It's too good. Yeah, it makes a game not fun because yeah. he just goes on a rampage, murders everything, and then, like, it, it's the same problem I had about fielding the Great and Queen one. It skews the game to be do you kill this model or not? Yep. And that doesn't feel as fun to me. So Gabe has, gonna... the, Gabe has the same problem whenever he runs Mortarion. It's either you can or you cannot kill him because if you can, then he's something to deal with. 
but if you can't, he literally takes over the game. Yeah, and it's just, it's just one of those where like it's fine, but every game probably doesn't need to be like that. So yeah, painting I up agree. a couple of extra models that I've. I mean, the part of my collection anyway. It's not like I had to go out and buy them. Um, so I want to get those done before my next game of 40k so I can actually run something different. Um, I have plans to play some more Onslaught on Monday. I'm running a Test of Honor campaign, so that's tomorrow, so I'll be hopefully playing some of that. I've got Arkham Horror coming up on Wednesday. Jeez. Um, yeah, pretty full week. And then I, w- I really want to play more X-Wing as well, but I've just not had, uh, not had time. I all of it is contingent on I actually need to keep just chipping away with dice eight stuff. Uh, but I finally figured out, I don't, can't remember if I discussed it on or off her last week, but like all the QuickBook stuff now works. So I have it where I can, I buy the materials and materials get entered in. And then I, you, like I shoot the laser at it and it turns into like a bunch of bases. And that that happens in QuickBooks, and then the bases get divided into packets, and that all happens. So like the the, the uh, supply chain is the properly. Um, so that's all pretty cool. That is cool. Um, I finalized the designs on the Scorepad um, tablet, uh, the LCD writing tablet that I'm. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. Um, we're going to be stocking. It's like a yeah. scorekeeping pad, right? Yeah, it's just a little LCD. Like, you can get them for kids where it's got like a rainbow effect yeah. when you draw on it and stuff. This is just like plain green on a black background. Yeah, and then it's really it's basic. Bas- and... It's basically like an etch a sketch in the 21st century, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I've been. Using I use that to uh, track for scores for um, X-Wing for all my games and then gave it away. Gotcha. Um, but I finalized the designs for the packaging for that. Um, so that hopefully should be here uh, maybe middle of next week um, so I can get all of those packaged up. I still need to do some tests. Um, I need to do a service on the printer and then get the printer up and running again so I can do some test prints on on those so I can actually put branding on them. Uh, but they should be hitting the store in February. Uh, that's my uh, my goal is to have those ready for February to hit the store. I'm still waiting on Feldher. Um, that is uh, my next Feldher order is being loaded onto the shipping containers in, um, what was it, in Frankfurt, I think? Um, yeah, in some German Germany. port. Yeah, um, so they're going on a boat, so they'll probably only arrive in the middle of February as well. <laughs> um, then, yeah, I've got a, all of my like working capital is tied up in orders for things. So it's like it's Chinese New Year at the moment as well. Yep, it is. So I can't. None, none of my orders are getting filled. At the filled minute. at this time. Yeah, you yeah. got. What is it? So, two weeks where they don't do anything. Yeah. Um but it's all paid for. I just don't get to be able to make money from it until middle of February, hopefully. Uh, so, and yeah, like I said, a laser was dying as well, so that was pretty stressful. But I've I've made sales. I've I I can accept credit cards now. So I, it's, none of the stuff is on the website yet. But I've been doing like 
transactions and I've sold some X-Wing templates. I've sold some um, some of the uh, tablets that people just wanted them, weren't bothered about the packaging because they, they were like, everyone was, the way we do pricing at X-Wing is we draft it. If you win, you get the first pick and then the last pick. And then if there's 10 players, there'll be 11 prizes. So the first thing to go was the, um, the score pad, um, which was a nice ego boost for me because it was a $20 gift card on the table as well. So um, people took the tablet over money, which is cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that's been the big ones. Um, I've, I have like a hand scanner for scanning UPCs. I have a scale for working out postal costs. Oh yeah, that was the biggest thing for why the website isn't up this week, is because I started adding items to it, and then um, Squarespace doesn't actually directly interact with Canada Post, so it doesn't do live shipping costs for Canada Post. If you want to pay for FedEx or DHL, it will do it live and tell you exactly what shipping's going to cost. But I feel like that's going to put more customers off than not. So, um, yeah, I need to basically figure out what my packaging is, measure it all, and then manually enter weights of the products and the dimensions so that it can calculate like internally a rough. Like, it's going to be this much, and then it'll charge you that much for shipping, and I either lose a little bit of money or make a little bit of money. Um, I want to try and get it as close as possible that I'm not making money off shipping because then the bookkeeping gets weird as well. But hey-ho, you know, it is what it is. Yep. Just all of the extra things. It's like, oh, I should have gone with Shopify. That could have worked better. But <laughs> live and learn. I'm not re-re-re-re-launching the website, so no. get right. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're not doing that. Yeah, but isn't Shopify um, kind of expensive too? I've got no idea. I I've just everything's expensive, Sean. All I've seen now is oh, oh <laughs> I just don't make any money, do I? It's, yeah. Why why would I do this? I, I need why to sell I? like fifty billion things. So so will the store be doing onslaught acrylic tokens here in the near future? Um. In the near future, define near future, Sean. <laughs> uh, within the next six months. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, within the, within the next two weeks, probably not. Um, no, no, not that soon. But because uh, I actually have a hunt slot open in front of me, and uh, I'm excited to play this. And then I saw the thing that you never show an impulsive person like me. <laughs> <laughs> But there are the ability to have uh, in-store tournaments. Yep. Do they, you not have the tournament kits already, Sean? They're they not being I, advertised in a launch kit? I, you know, here's the deal. I don't work at a store, so I don't know any of that. But when I was looking at um, inside, it talks about, you know, the, you get that little single page, or it's a double-sided pamphlet where it talks about frameworks and then visit the thing where you can talk about expansion packs, download free scenarios. And then it says tournament resources here. And so I went online and looked up the tournament resources 
and lo and behold, they're giving away painted minis and foil cards. Yeah, uh, there's a decent chance, Sean, that once I get around to doing onslaught content, there will be some um, some mimics with foil cards being given away because yep. um, I may um, or may not have. Oh, I've got I might have these D and D bags as well. Yeah, um, so I, so when they released at the store. I didn't get um, the release celebration card, so I got to go back and ask them about that. But which I can't tell what it is. It's like Cobalt Century, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, I didn't get a, any like card or anything like that. I got the um, the launch kit, um, which is the mimic and the file mimic card. So I'll have some of those to give away. But... Gotcha. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's so cool. We'll, I really enjoyed it. It's it's quick. We'll have, it's to, fun. We'll have to talk uh, after the show about some things here, Chris. Yep. Yep. I will happily go ahead and finish your statement. I apologize. Uh, so a I will happily cash in on my friendship something. with Sean. I'll happily <laughs> cash in. Like, yeah, Sean, you can have one of these file cards. Twenty-seven hundred dollars. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I totally forgot. I have a couple of things I need to follow up on. Uh, specifically, the last show, I did want to put a little bit of news in mind. Um, for those who uh, were kind enough to listen to the last episode, we talked a lot about the OGL and Wizards of the Coast. I did send this in our chat, and I forgot to mention that in my little segment, but it looks like Wizards of the Coast is walking back their entire stance on updating the OGL, at least for the old stuff. Uh, they did uh, D&D Beyond did release something on Twitter, which I snapped a photo of. Um, they're leaving the OGL 1.0 uh, A in place, as in untouched. Uh, they are also making the entire SRD, that standard rules document, uh, 5.1, available under Creative Commons. So the and like literally uh, hours after they released this tweet, they released the the SRD to Creative Commons. So it's now no longer even under their control. Um, and the second tweet that they had sent was, uh, "Thank you for your continued dedication." love uh for dungeons and dragons we are sorry for the pain that we have caused the community we look forward to uh building what comes next with our players and creators so it is one of those rare rare instances where community don't say it don't say it because i've got a follow-up but go on finish your point so so do i so do i Uh, uh but it's one of those rare instances where community outrage over a particular megacorp doing something bad to a community they find they they did walk back their statement so i will give credit where credit is due now that having been said um i don't think that that's going to be their policy moving forward uh, i have a sneaking suspicion with uh dnd one i.e sixth edition and everything moving forward will probably fall under their new version of an ogl they're just simply keeping the old one in place um, what this did do is it prompted me to run out and get a PDF copy of the Pathfinder 2E rule set. Um, and of course, I've been flipping through that and reading through that. So there's a big, big part of me that's like, I wonder if I can get a campaign going. I wouldn't mind DMing a campaign again. You know, kind of I, I need some role playing in my life for a little bit. So I am d- putting some serious consideration into that. So I did want to follow up on our last episode. That was it. But you do have a, a follow-up pushback. By all means, please do. Yeah, you kind of touched on it there. Whereas in, so the initial plan was that um, the release for D&D this year was not going to be a new edition. It was going to be a 
basically a tidying up of 5e and like bringing a bunch of you know everything together and kind of streamlining my suspicion now would be that if, even if that does happen very soon they will just officially launch and a product and call it a new edition and uh yeah you get to keep 5e crack on this is where the game is now um yeah yeah, I think that and, uh, and moving forward, I think, look, I struggle with this one morally in a lot of ways. Like, I totally understand what they were thinking 23 years ago whenever they came out with the the original OGL and the reasons what they were doing it. There is still that weird part of me that always used to think, like, whenever you saw, like, a Mongoose publishing book out there, publishing something for fourth edi- or third edition 3.5 D&D, you're like, well, how do they get to do that? I mean, like, they're like, like I guess the OGL, but they're literally just making material for a, a, another game. And I, I appreciate and applaud what they had done um, in those. I get it. They didn't feel that they could feel the need for it. Sure. Uh, but moving forward, I, I mean, I don't know if anyone saw Wizards Quarterlies this past <laughs> this past Wizards announced that they're uh, laying off uh, a thousand employees. Um, a lot of that's going to come from both creatives. I'm sure it's going to be like down the liners, too, which really kills me. Uh, there's real people behind those jobs that are losing their jobs whenever they're doing it. But like Hasbro's not doing well as a parent company. And the only thing that's genuinely, truly keeping them afloat is Magic the Gathering and in Dungeons and Dragons. Those, those are the two things that are going to continue on. Like that plan has to happen or they don't stick around as a company. So there is that big part of me that's like, well, if you still want this thing that you love, you still kind of got to pay for it. Uh, it's the same reason why I you know, always believe in pay where you play. I still buy my stuff whenever I can from my local game store. Whenever It's the same thing. Like if you want that thing that you love, you it does got to come out of your wallet. So moving forward, I genuinely truly believe that that is going to be their policy. And if you go into it knowing that, I'm okay with that. If you still want to do 5e thing, you want to do the same thing that Paizo did when 4th edition came out and you want to take the old stuff revamp it, rejig it a little bit, and then make it a new product like they called Pathfinder. Um, and that product does well. Great. Good on you. Good for you. But you are correct, Chris. I think that the time is going to march on and they're going to march on with their policies that they wanted, just not trying to claim everyone's work from previous versions of the stuff that they had given out for free. Yep. That's it. That's all. Oh, the, oh, the last thing. We totally forgot. I know we mentioned this at the tail end of the last show. If you didn't stick around for the last show, Chris and I are going to Adepticon. Uh, I'm taking Dang. my son at the end of March. We are going to go. In, we're going to be driving out to Chicago to meet Chris in Chicago. I have not yet to sign up for any events. Uh, aside from like one or two that were free events, I do need to kind of get on that really, really quick to decide what stuff I want to get because it is filling up. A lot of the stuff I wanted to do is already sold out. So I need to at least get on wait lists. Adepticon is definitely one of those things where people like buy early and then change their mind, can't make it. There's a there's a lot that can happen in three months before you can get in and get, get the stuff you want to do. So that stuff may open up, but it's been on my bucket list for a really really long time to go out to it obviously world's x-wing is going to be there we'll be there to actually watch a world championship get claimed again so that'll be the second or that'll be the second one that i'll get to see in person because of course i mean while my interest in 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 x-wing may have weaned a little it is still something special to be there when a world champion is claimed um so i would like to see that there's also a super major at 40k that is going to be there. games workshop's going to be there so even if i'm not playing a single game if i'm not doing anything there's going to be oodles to do there's going to be all kinds of vendors all kinds of stuff to see I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I get to hang out with Chris in person for a whole, like almost a full week. So it'd be great. Yep. 
I'm excited. Me too. So that's, yeah. that's all I got. Um, okay. Well, I will, uh, Les Chris, you have anything else? No, I'm done, Sean. That was good okay. me anyway. Yeah. I think all I right. did a decent chunk, so. Yeah, almost. You two did about an hour. You know, that that's pretty good. <laughs> I did 15 minutes. Chris did 45. <laughs> you took up most of mine. Jesus. I did. I'm sorry. I trampled all over yours. Um, for oh, me, I, I haven't done a lot this week. I played some Project Zomboid. Played some arcade oh, games. Sorry, Sean. I do, I do have oh. stuff. I, I finished. <laughs> um, I stayed up until like 4 a.m. one night because I was so close to ruling Japan um, on Total <laughs> War 2. <laughs> Uh, Shogun Tree. So I, uh, I, I took Japan with the uh, the Date Clan, um, and did it. It's a, a long slog, but you, I, I, I rule Japan now. It was great. So uh, I need to pick a second clan and then start, start again, over. basically. Yeah. Yep. But that was it. You crack on, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, no. For me, I haven't done a lot. Um. I picked up on slot which I'm excited to play. Um, I love games that come with painted minis to start with, and it's similar, not the same, but it's similar to their older their older game that I have that I've talked about in the past, um, which is a pretty fun game. That can't, comes with painted minis um, also. I do kind of like the concept of Onslaught, where they'll continue to put like uh, factions out, you know, the Harpers and... Red Wizards of Thay and all of that type of stuff. So that's going to be pretty cool. I'm sure yeah. that some of this will probably cross paths with the movie that's coming out, I'm guessing. Oh, I'm uh, sure. I'll guarantee it. Well, the the Red Wizards of Thay are in the movie um, because they talk about one of the, I think it's like one of the Red Witches of Thay or something like that in one of the, one of the trailers and stuff. So uh, I've got the, um, I so I have the uh, the Many Arrows faction pack and the Res- Red Wizards faction pack. I okay. haven't opened them yet. Gotcha. So that adds that adds playable characters, correct? Yeah. It's um, so from what I gather. Again, I've not done full squad building yet, but you pick a faction and then you get to select your five fighters from the models you have available for that faction. I believe. Yeah. So, and I'm sure because they also have the ability to. You can buy the unpainted minis and yeah. use those use those in the game too, which I think is pretty cool. Um other other than the fact that if I bought them they would probably stay unpainted, but I would hope that I could get them painted, but we'll see on that. Um so onslaught, I'm looking forward to that. Um I'm working on an upgrade to my Ridge Ridge Racer cab. I'm waiting for the parts to come in, but that'll basically make it a racing cab with about 130 racing games on it. Um, so that'll be pretty cool. Um, Arcade One Up re released the Star Wars cab, um, the arcade. So, Ed, if you're looking to pick one up, they're sold out right now, but they have a total of 3,500 that they're going to sell. So, if you want a vector graphics, and the uh, Return of the Jedi, which is more of a scroller style, um, it'll be soon that you'll be able to pick one up. So 
That would um, be I, cool. I think I told you if I were to do that, I would definitely do one of the ones that you can mod, the ones that you can dump ROMs onto. Like, I, I don't know that I have the, the, the same level of desire that you do to have an entire arcade in your room, but I wouldn't mind one machine that played, like, I don't know, a if thousand. You were, if you were going to do that, then you would do the uh, um, at games, do the at games Legends Ultimate. Um, reason being is you can go coin ops X and then there's a whole group of people out there that support coin ops X and, you know, they build, build your arcade out for you on that without you only, all you have to do is downloads, download it to a thumb drive and then plug it in and you have basically everything you want, not everything, but close to everything you want. Close to everything. Yeah. So I picked up another one of those cabs. So I'll actually have both the original and the new. I like the newer look cab better, but my guess is it's just the same game. You know, everything's the same other than the cab look. So I'll have both of those. So now I have to figure out what I'm going to do with one of my other cabs to either sell it or find a new, another spot for it. Cause I am literally maxed out in space in my basement <laughs> where I have the arcade. Um, so I got that one coming, and then I bought a Steam Deck, which I've wanted to buy a Steam Deck for a long time. Oh, you've got, I was kind of, like, I've been genuinely, truly debating one of those. Yeah, it's actually, I like it. It's bigger, it's bigger than a Switch screen. So the whole unit's a little bit bigger than a Switch, but it's built out better than a Switch. Like the hand, you know, your grips and everything on it are much better. For it, and then you can't run every Steam game on it, you know. So you can try, but you can't run every Steam game. But you can run probably the majority of what you want to run on it. Like you can run Project Zomboid on it if you wanted to. Um, right, and like it's not it's not going to run like Cyberpunk twenty you know twenty seven no. or anything like that. It's not going to have those kinds of things. But if you wanted to do your average run of the mill PC gaming stuff like that, you can do on it. Yeah, and then there's ways where you can actually make it um, through the... Um, so it comes with onboard um, storage. It comes with an M.2, and there's a couple different versions of it. But I bought the biggest one. It's like six 640 gigabyte um, storage, but then you can use micro SDs to upgrade your storage. So you can basically have unlimited storage or have storage that you're taking you know, transferring uh, the micro SDs, but you can also run it, right? It's a Linux device, right. but you can actually run Windows on it. There's a way to do it where you can put Windows Yeah, you can sideload. I've seen it before. You can sideload it onto it. Yeah, which means you can do like OTG stuff on the at game systems and stuff like that. Um, you know, use the deck to basically run your your OTG games, which like for the pinball, you can with, with uh, upgrades to the pinball machines, the regular pinball and the micro pinball micro, you can buy the cards that allow you to do the back class, you know, so the back class will work and then you can hook it up to a PC or a laptop that's strong enough and you can play pinball. Uh, you play pinball machines off of um, FX three, the, pinball on steam so you can run those tables and play it just like a regular pinball so there's a lot of different things you can do and the steam deck is just one of those 
kind of holy grails. They've been out of stock for a long time. And then they came back in stock, I think, before the first of the year. And I finally got around to picking one up. So now I got to figure out how to use it because, you know, it's technology and I'm not the best with that. So without direct instructions, which they don't have the best instructions on it. Yeah. And then you, you can also get a dock and you can, you know, hook it up to a TV or whatever you want to hook it up to. So a lot of, a lot of pl uh, playability with that. Um, and then I think that's about it. I've played some arcade games and, um, you know, just, it's been a busy, this is a really busy two weeks for me at work with between training and then some stuff that's coming Coming up that I have to get done, which I think I have to turn it all in Monday. So that's kind of where my time has been spent, um, the majority of it. So um, other than that, I don't really have anything else. So I guess it's time we can move on to the main topic. Oh, yeah. So I'm do you really want to give the spoiler alerts just for the people who've, like Ed, took months and months to watch Andor? Yep. Um, if you're if you haven't seen Andor, have not watched the whole series, now is a good time to shut the shut the or turn the volume <laughs> down on the down. podcast. Yeah, I mean, you've had an hour's worth of us rambling already. You don't need more anyway. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So, uh, but if yeah. you have watched Andor, I highly recommend you stick around. Yes, yes. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Andor tonight, and um. I actually had a list of questions, but I forgot them at work. I couldn't find them today, so I wrote them while I was at work, and then I must have left them there. So I'll try to try to remember what I uh, what I had for questions for the group and stuff. But um, first off, um, I'll just start this um, with my first impressions of Andor, and now what they're kind of calling the the Rogue One universe of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of interesting because you have what I would call the Clone One Clone Wars universe, which is where Ahsoka is going to fit into. You have the Mandalorian or the Mandoverse, as they call it, where the Mandalorian's fitting into. Doesn't Ahsoka um, kind of fall into that category too? Well, it's a kind of like a, a bridge between the two. Yeah, you know, because she'll appear in both and stuff like that. But, but the with her spinoff series coming, it's it's it'll be interesting to see what that all brings, you know, for both the Mandoverse, but kind of that Clone War, you know, you know, universe and stuff. Sure. Um, well, but they're all in different time frames. That's what, and that just makes sense. Well, kind of. I mean, Mando, I mean, Ahsoka's going to be Ahsoka from the Mando universe or Mandalorian universe, where you're going to have Sabine Wren in there also. So it's actually Rebels, too. You yeah, really exactly. want to get into it, you know, it's kind of a... Technically, Rebels is the one that kicks us off. Kind of. I mean, it's the, but it's going to talk about Anakin. It sounds like from all the, all the the little leaks and things like that. It's going to kind of rewrite Anakin's story a little bit too. Um, so there may or be add to it depending on how you look at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which to me, I'm fine. I mean, his Clone War story was interesting, but we all knew where he ended up. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like the Andor verse, you know, or, or you know, this show with Andor. Is it's interesting to me because you have you have a part of Star Wars, and this is the part of Star Wars that interests me the most: is the non Jedi, non uh, non Skywalker series, non none of that. You know, you have a completely different storyline 
which is talking about both the empire and the kind of like the inner workings of the empire. And then it talks about the beginning of the rebellion, which is interesting to see how that's, that begins to evolve where it's almost like Palpatine manipulating the galaxy to take power. It's almost the same thing with the rebellion where you have one person manipulating everybody (laughs) to start the rebellion which I think is just a really cool way of looking at it, where the rebellion basically parallels the Galactic Empire just, you know, in, in an opposite way, where, you know, when you, when you, when you look at care, the characters, you know, and we probably won't be able to get through everything that I would like to get through tonight, but, you know, Andor, of course, is the focal point, but really he's almost like, an afterthought of that focal point. You know, we all know who Andor is to a degree from um, Rogue One. You know, we all knew that he was a kind of behind the scenes, uh, you know, assassin killer type guy who basically does the bidding of the rebellion. But here we kind of see that origin story of how he gets to that point and, and what brings him to the resolve that, he needs to fight the Empire, which I think is pretty cool. That was one of the things that I genuinely, truly loved about Rogue One. I remember I just got done having this conversation with the guys at work because um, I'd mentioned to them that I had finally finished um, Andor. And uh, first of all, from my first impressions, it's a, it's a nine out of ten show easily. Um, it's one of the few instances that I can point to. Um, in the Disney Star Wars era where a show was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was that dark, seedy underbelly of what it's like to live in the Star Wars universe if you're not a Skywalker, if you're not a main character, if you're not... Like, that's all this is. Legitimately, this show, even Andor was a, a, a secondary character in Rogue One, but he was the guy that was, like, willing to do the dirty work for the rebellion because everyone thinks of the rebellion as like oh there's this you know these are the good guys but 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 there was a lot of shady shit that had to happen in the back end to get them to that point and that's really what this show um kind of covers and goes over is some of that shady shit like how the wheeling and dealing so like i agree with you in the fact that like i think andor is kind of a, a I don't know if I'd say ancillary character because he's kind of like a focal point for the show, but it definitely goes in three different directions and tells three separate stories that all culminate at the end in the final episode. Um, you have, which I thought was fantastic. The actress that they got to play Mon Mothra was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So you get some of the, the political undertones of she, you know, she's you know rich from the planet that she's come from. It was really super easy to fund the early parts of the rebellion, but now the empire's taking a closer look at finances and closer look at things. So she has to do shady deals here in dark corners to be able to continue to help fund. Um, you also have, of course, Andor in his story and what happens with him and uh, that episode ten, which we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to on where he ends up and what ends up happening there. Um, Super fantastic, all culminating to the end of uh, of how he ended up making the decision to quote unquote join the rebellion, and then you kind of have this third story arc of 
these imperial officers who are trying to catch the bad guys in their in their from their perspective. And I do not know the name of the actress. I'm gonna have to look this up. The name of the actress that they got to play her. Holy cow. Was uh, Denise, that Denise Guff or Gal? I can't remember how to pronounce her name. Holy cow, was she really good? Like that's and that's kind of where my nine out of ten comes out. It is extraordinarily well acted. Like almost top to bottom, every actor, every person that has any um, momentum in the show whatsoever was done so well. And she specifically stood out to me because that is how I'm trying not to be sexist in the statement I'm going to make here, but that's how you make a female villain seem menacing. Um, was just how the way that she portrayed it. Like she, like she felt menacing. She felt evil is probably not the right word because I feel like she she feels like she's doing her job. But oh boy, did she enjoy doing it. Um, she was absolutely fantastic. I did mention this in our in our text. I, Forrest Whitaker does have a, a, a reprise his role as uh, Saul Guerrero in there, and I just I'm I'm such a sucker for Forrest Whitaker. I think he's a fantastic actor. And even though he didn't have a ton of screen time in this season, in this particular season. His time on the on screen was phenomenal. Um, even Stellan Stellan Starsgard did a fantastic job. I love he had this speech, and I forget which episode it was, but it's the one where he's talking to one of the Imperial officers, and they're on top of an elevator, and he's talking about what he lost. Episode like that, that was like episode nine, I believe. Yeah, that one speech, like, well, what have I lost? I've lost everything. Let me tell you all the things that I've lost and I've given up for this rebellion, a rebellion that I know that I'm never going to live to see, kind of thing. It was. All of the actors from top to bottom, I feel like, did such a fantastic job. The only one that I felt like maybe fell a little flat, and maybe it's just his face in general. Diego Luna, I like, I wasn't a hundred percent like with with all of the other actors that are in the, and how fantastic of a job. Like, there's a scene, and we're in spoilers territory, so it's okay for me to say this. There's a scene wherever he gets word that his mother has passed away, and I was really expecting a lot more emotion on him, and I could tell that he's like, it, it's emotional for his character. But I'm like, oh, man, I was like, he, he didn't frown. He didn't like I was like, oh, he just kind of took that on the chin. Like, I, I get that. Well, so it was the one. It, it, one of the things I think with that, and I, I get where you're coming from on that one, because it, it's an interesting thing, the way that he does react to that. But I think it goes back to the fact that, you know, he's when he's listening to Nemec's speeches about, you know, how rebellion start and yeah. i think that that's i think andor at that point when his mom when he finds out his mother has died is already understanding her now you know before he resisted she was the true rebel in that show at the beginning because she actually tried to fight him when you know when they had occupied before and even at the towards the end she wanted to be the one that that fights them and Diego Luna, this is the beauty of his character, I think, in the show. Number one, he is my favorite Star Wars character of all time, as short-lived, just because of the way, A, that Diego Luna plays him, which is incredible. But B, it just shows you what survival is like, you know? Yes. It's survival as a kid, you know, he's on a planet as a kid that has... You know, basically, it's like Lord of the Flies almost to a degree at that point. That ship lands, and then, you know, you you see... What's weird to me about the show was how little that they portrayed his, Andor's childhood. And when um, 
when uh, Marva, you know, came and took him from the planet, you know, and basically raised him after that, but left his sister and Diego or not, Andor was always looking for his sister. That was kind of like his his beginning focus. That was his drive at the beginning of the show. And then his next drive, of course, is when he meets with Luth and Rael. And so there's a change. And, and what's interesting is there's a speech that Diego, it's not really a speech, but it's he's talking about the Empire and how he can so easily steal things from them, like the the whatever it was, the shield device or whatever it was that he had stolen, um, had gotten his hands on and then and then was trying to sell to Luthen. And, you know, he's saying, you know, the the Empire is so fat that they don't see people like him coming and just taking. They can't believe that people will come in and steal from them and and how blind they are to that fact, which then creates Dedra Mirdro in her character because she's the one who's trying to find the people that are, do, are doing these things. And it's an interesting how those those two characters, they align well in the show, because Diego's the, or, uh, Andor's the one that she's going after the whole time. She is trying to catch Andor and find Luthen Royale, of course. And it's Although interesting. she doesn't know that's who it is. They just have a code name for him. Right, you know, and then you have Cyril Karn, who at the beginning, when I first watched the first, you know, the first couple of episodes with him, didn't make sense to me, like what his role was in it. But really what his role to me seems to be is he's just showing the, you know, the people that are so engrossed in, you know, the rules and straight lines, and then how really small he really is in the Empire. You know, to yes. have a person who is so, so excited about all these rules and following the rules. And then, you know, he's just basically just another guy in the universe, although he doesn't want to be that. And well, then the relationship literally gets put back as a cog in the machine. We're like, OK, that you is were hilarious. Yeah, you were trying to do your job, but you kind of like went over the heads of your supervisors. So we're going to punish you. We're going to take you because the Empire is now going to come in and clean up your because he was a, a corporate security. Yeah. And all the corporate security was concerned with it was just basically keeping the Empire out. Like, you know, if we just turn in our reports and we don't want to like we don't want to come up on any report. We don't want to show up as anything important. You know, we just want them to just kind of like look past us and go, yep. Oh, yeah. A couple of guards died. No big deal. You know, it was an accident yeah. and just kind of blow past it. But he's like, but no, somebody murdered them. And he was so obsessed with the fact that the rest of the, the corporations, the uh, corporate guards around him just were trying to brush it under the rugs. So the empire didn't take a look. He's like, I want the empire here. I want them to take a look. And he just kind of got shoved off and literally got put into a cubicle job as basically punishment. Um, that's the one character like I really am struggling with 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 finding attachment because I genuinely truly feel like the the actor that plays him is playing him as a functional psychopath, and I think that's fine because I think that's what the character is, and, but like that that's the one character like I can't get any emotional attachment to whatsoever because he doesn't show any. Like the only time you ever see him show any type of emotion in any way, shape, or form is the very, very end when um, Deirdre is get, is in the the attack at the end of the, when the the basically the town uprising. You could see the beginnings. You could see the grassroots efforts of what is going to be the rebellion against the empire. And this is one of those scenes. 
happens and she's literally attacked in the street like to the point where like there are people surrounding her trying to beat her down in the street and he comes in and saves her that's the only time i feel like i felt a twinge of emotion come out of him the the, the other time with him is when he's dealing with his mother yes yes that's that's probably another that's true the frustration he has with her you know and you know her always talking about this mysterious uncle you know which of course has the interwebs you know going crazy is his uncle Palpatine or some crap like that, you know, and it's, it's it, it makes me laugh. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's in that prison. Andy Sykes. It's already there. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the other thing. I totally forgot that Andy Serkis, I forgot to mention Andy Serkis's role. And I, I said this yeah. to my, the one, this is the one thing that I loved about this show. So for example, I sat down, my wife sat on the couch and watched two episodes with me. I think it was in like episodes four, four or five, or five or six, somewhere, somewhere in the middle. And she got about 45 minutes in and then all of a sudden a stormtrooper came on screen and she's like, are we watching Star Wars? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, yes, this takes place in, in the Star Wars universe. She's like, I, I, I had no idea. You couldn't tell. Right. And I said, exactly. That's, That's the why one this is thing so good. I, Yes, because sure, every once in a while, you'd have a scene where there was a TIE fighter. You'd see, you know, TIE pilots getting into a TIE fighter or you'd see them going into an Imperial facility and they're stormtroopers. So, yes, you're clearly in Star Wars universe. But like a lot, I mean, a lot of this show takes place in areas that could be in any generic sci-fi universe whatsoever. You wouldn't know that you were watching Star Wars unless you had kind of like gone into it. And that's kind of what I wanted because there are no space wizards with lasers. There are no, you know, grandiose Imperial Star Destroyer battles with x-wings it's literally the the the, because that's not how the rebellion would have started it would have started in these grassroots movements like this it starts with you stealing a payroll yeah exactly and it just literally starts to snowball you and you have this grand scheme of oh we're going to hijack the payroll for an entire imperial sector with seven people because literally they don't expect anyone's ever going to do it so the security's so light um you just managed to get away with it that was one of the only things i didn't if i had a downside to the show that i didn't like like the the one member of the team um who after they've done the robbery scene which is a fantastic like the 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 cgi on the the eye the 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 celestial event that happens every three years where you have this meteor storm goes through super cool i really could wish i could see some of that in person um but the 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 sudden turn of that character i did not see coming oh, and i think yeah, I think that was supposed to be like a big twist, but like he had this gigantic like he's the one that's on Andor's ass the entire time from the time that he shows up with this small band of rebels to kind of, you know, he's a mercenary. He's getting paid to do a job and they're all doing it out of love of the cause. He's the one guy that's on his ass going, oh, you know, you're not part of the cause. You're, you, I can tell there's something not right about you. Who brings the, you know, who brings um, the, the kyber crystal that he's got around his neck? Who brings a fortune to a robbery? Like, you're, you're not here for the cause. And then to suddenly flip at the end like that, I was like, wait, what? Like, that well, almost made no sense. Because that, that, kid, that kid dies, isn't he, in the transport at the end? Uh, yeah, on right. the yeah. Escape. Nemet, yeah. Nemet. Does that not yeah. push him over the edge? I, I think that that's part of it. You know, I think with the, um, I'm trying to think. Um, so I, this is the one role I can, uh, Tamarin, I think. I can't remember. The X Stormtrooper. So you had Val, you had Andor, you had Nemec, you had, uh, um, um, you had Arvel, you had Cinta. Um, it was the, the black man that played the Stormtrooper. 
Yeah, I'm looking for them. I can't find them off. Like, IMDb is not very good for them. But yeah, yeah. Well, so, so well, well. What's interesting to me is that, that guy, yeah. Well, so so when you look at a guy like Arvel, who has has um, he's driven. You know, he's a guy that's driven. Maybe not quite driven as much as people he wants people to think. You know. Because he was one of those people that you know believed in was saying that he believed in what Nemec was was talking about, you know, because yeah. Nemec, you know, Nemec was, you know, he was proselytizing the the concept of rebellion, you know, and and he he was kind of like what I call Andor's conscience, if you really get down to it, you know, he's what turned Andor, but. I think that when the the stormtrooper guy died, which he died in a very stormtrooper way, just running out in the middle of a firefight, you know, trying to to just right up Tarman, yeah, that's that's his name. So when he runs out in the middle of the firefight, and he's kind of the the we'll call it the leader during that attack and stuff, he runs out, dies. Then you have Nemec getting crushed when the ship takes off. Um, the lieutenant, um, Lieutenant Gorn, he's killed because he's another one of their allies. Yeah. Um, Sinta basically goes her own way because we know what she ends up doing. You know, she ends up killing the family and, you know, the, the, whatever he was, the governor or whatever. Governor, yeah. She, you know that she killed him, the wife and the kid. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, I guess she didn't kill the governor. The governor had a heart attack, but, um, you know, okay. so, you know, because she was holding the family to hold him hostage to do, you know, their bidding and stuff. So this guy, I think, just kind of unraveled. Arvel just kind of unraveled in that scene and, and but hit the he- point. But but he remember, later went on to he went on, later went, like he gave that whole story about the reason why he was there was for his brother and then in that scene where he's you know doing the big turn like hey there's eighty million credits in there if we split that two ways that's forty apiece well what about your brother I don't have a brother so that means he lied that means he lied the whole time so that's yeah. the thing that threw me off on that one well like wait a minute then like I'm so confused by your character <laughs> there there there's no honor among thieves you know I guess yeah I guess that you is know, one way it, to put it. And he wasn't there for the rebellion. He was just a thief. And this is where he would draw the line and say, well, I'm here. I can get 40 million credits, you know, and walk away. And yeah, but uh, if that's the only thing wrong with the show, if that's it. If that's the only thing that I can nitpick about going, well, that one so, character doesn't make sense to me. That so one character it, it turn does to me. It, it does to me in that you're building a character in Andor. The whole story is about Andor. But you have all these characters that feed into his storyline. You know, and Andor has always been a loner. He's a thief. You know, we know that. He's a thief. Uh, he's, he's not an really honorable thief. He's no, more he's like not, Robin Hood. <laughs> he he well maybe he's an honorable thief, but he's also a murderer. You know he, he he's one of those guys that will pull the trigger when necessary to save his bacon. We we saw that. And he is the guy that you need to start a rebellion, though. He he is that guy that goes in and does the dirty work. He does that stuff that's always talking, you know, hu- under hushed voices. Nobody ever says it out loud. But hey, we need this thing taken care of. That's the type of character that Andor is. That's the guy that's going to get it done no matter what. That's and, why whenever and, we first see him in Rogue One, the very first scene that you see him in is him meeting with another rebel operative and that rebel operative getting injured and him killing that guy. 
A, to get away, and B, to make sure that the guy doesn't give the Empire any inf information. Like, that's your opening introduction to Andor's character. And that's why I love Andor so much. Yes. Because, because he shows what the Rebellion really is. You know, we're, we're actually seeing kind of three sides to the Rebellion here, you know? Yes. In, there's in, little in shades of gray in there, isn't there? It's not all well, good. Well, there's there's the black, you know, the Andor side is the dark side. Luthen is part of that dark side. Yes. Because Luthen throws people away as needed. He will yeah. say he, he is a guy who's pushing the peep, the chessboard pieces around, you know, cause him and Mon Mothma have that, you know, people are going to get killed. And he says, good, you know, or whatever like he this, said. Yeah. This is, this is what we need. We need people to suffer so that they can. Right. That, that's what it was. Yeah. Yes. People are going to suffer. Yeah, she says people are going to suffer, and he says, good, you know, people need to suffer. And that's what it's going to take to get these people to, to wake up and rise up. You know, and you have you have the base layer, which is the operatives, the guys you throw away, you know. I can't remember his name, but the the one that... I never that, actually uh, saw him, but yeah, that's a character. He's like, yeah, like the I guess the Empire had captured one of his pilots and was yep. fully well aware of the fact that he was going to be attacking a, an outpost. And he's like, I could warn him. But if I warn them, then the Empire knows something's up. There you go. And that's because, like, Saul Guerrero is the one to go off and join him. Like, it was really cool, again, to kind of see, like, you know, Two Tubes is in there as well. And mm -hmm. Saul's there. The two X-Wings are parked outside of his place. That was a huge nod to, like, whenever that, that kit came out for X-Wing. Um, but he's like, yeah, we could warn him. We could tell him not to go. But then the Empire is going to know what's going to happen. He's like, so we're going to sacrifice these 30 men and their leader. And he's like, Yeah. We, we we have to do that because otherwise right. the empire knows. Well, the empire knows that he has an insider because right, that's, exactly. that's what it's all about is trying to, you know, all it, that whole thing was to keep the insider safe, safe, you know, and, and that's, that's why he sacrificed 30 people to keep one guy safe. Who's in the ISB. Well, that's what, that's what, it's so fascinating about when you take a look into you take a look at Rogue One and you kind of take this as an extension of where like obviously ultimately this is where it's going to end is with Rogue One. Like people on the good side, not all of them are all good. People who are under the Empire aren't necessarily all bad. How many people did we see? We've got an ex-stormtrooper that has kind of helped storming this base. We've got a lieutenant that's at that base who's helping the Rebel Alliance. We've got people in the ISB, their their version of basically the Secret Service or, or Secret Intelligence, whatever you want to call it, um, who are actually helping the Rebellion because they see what's wrong with with the system. So like, there, there's there's a well, that, whole bunch of gray that this introduces. It's not just well, that, every... That's what I was saying. There's three levels here. You have that bottom level where Andor is. Yes. You have you have that middle level where Luthen and Mon Mothma live, you know, where they're the ones who are paying for everything. They're the ones who are making it so a rebellion can be afforded. And then you have and then you have the Vels, you have the Nemics, you have the Sintas, you have the Marvas that are the heart and soul of the rebellion. They take the risks. They're the ones who go out and they're the ones who are drawing people in, you know, they're the recruiters for the rebellion. Now you even have a class inside of that where you have Sintha and Nemec, where Sintha is purely pure, you know, 
her and Vel are in a relationship and she's willing to sacrifice that entire relationship for the cause. For cause. You and know, it's interesting. Usually, they, they, they have that scene where like, you know, you the cause comes first, then what's left is uh, that's us, for us. Yeah. Yes. And then, you know, you had Nemec who literally is putting his entire, you know, thought process into that deck that you see Andor listening to. I think it's episode nine when he's sitting his, in the ship. His you know, manifesto. His manifesto. And then and then you have these characters that are the like Bix, you know, who are kinda thrown away in a way. You know, they're the ones that you see, you know, Bix suffers the consequences of Andor. And Luthen. And yeah, inadv- inadvertently, that wasn't obviously his intention, but of course, they're the yep. Empire is going to do what they can to get to to get to him. And have, if that means going through her, that's no problem. They have no problem doing it. You have Kino Loy, who's also one of those people who Such Andor a good character, Such who, who, a good character. who Andor, you know, convinces, you know, the escape. He's the one who convinces and needs him to lead that escape. And then finally, at the end of the escape, you find out the guy can't swim. So basically, you just you, he's a sacrificial piece. He's the pawn in all of this storyline, you know, just like the it was 30s. Such a, it was such a heartbreaking moment. Like, you, I mean, it, so that episode 10, like if even if you go up, to, if you're going to watch this entire show, like you genuinely need to watch the, the, the two episodes going into episode 10 whenever the, the jailbreak happens. Um, because you get two, I think one or two episodes, I think it is of Andor being in that prison before they make, they make the breakout, um, to realize at the, episodes. yeah, yeah it's to three. realize at the very, very end that, you know, Kino is leading all these people in an attempt to escape out of the prison, knowing full well that the only way out of that prison is to swim, is to dive off the, the platform oh. into the water and swim out. And he's not going to be able to do it. He but knows remember, that. though, Kino was also he was also the leader of that, you know, whole team to yeah, build leader of the floor to build those things that we we didn't know until the end were parts of the, the laser dish on the Death Star. But is that did, what they were? Did I, t- I totally missed that because I was wondering, like, what didn't are they for the end credits? Yeah, you didn't. It's it's a, a post credit scene. End, yeah, it's a post credit scene. Oh, is it a po? Oh, damn it. Wait, is it a post-credit scene at the last episode? Because I'll go back and watch that. Yeah, it's 10. It's after the, or it's in the middle of the credits in 10. Oh my God, I'm going to have to go back. Because I was wondering that the whole time, because I was like, what are these widgets that they're building? Like, are they, I don't know. Like, okay, I can see there's maybe, maybe they're um, UV joints for the ad-ats. Like, you know, like, like, that's all I kept thinking. Like, like the entire time, like they never say it. They never say what the hell they're building. Like, they're just, they're just building a thing. That's it. It's the skeleton that the skin of the, the, the reflector dish. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and when this, as soon as I get off this, as soon as we get off recording the show, I'm going back to watch that. Because I was wondering if if they were ever going to tell what that was. With Kino Loy, though, you remember, you know, he was, he was the heavy hand. He was the prisoner who was the heavy hand in that group, you know. So Kino, that's why Kino had to be the leader. But at the end of the day, it was, you know, Kino was the one who basically in a way determined who was going to get shocked at the end of the day for losing that day, you sure. know? 
Um, he, you know, he, he, his character smacked to me of one of the ones that's like, has been in for so long. He's just adapted to the system and he's just there to do his time. That's all he wants to do. He's like, I've got 200 and some odd cycles left or 200 and some odd shifts. I mean, they count everything by 12 hour shifts. So I've got 200 and some uh, shifts left. Whenever our shifts are done, I'm out, I'm done. And I'm not going to let you or anybody else fuck that up for me. So you're going to do exactly what we need to do. Cause I'm, we're not all paying for your mistakes. If you're, you're going to end up paying for your own. I'm just here to make sure that we're, like it'd be nice for us to win the game and beat the other floors, but like I want to get my time, get my time in and out and done, and I'm going to show you exactly how to do that. Right. And finally, just to to end on my, you know, the people who make sacrifices, the one who may have made the biggest sacrifice is mine, Mothma, sacrificing her daughter for the rebellion. Yeah, that was so. That is, it was such an so. It's one of those things whenever it's been, this is one of the things that Disney getting a hold of the things and being able to expand on some of those little side characters you didn't know. Mon Mothra basically served a very, very small role in Return of the Jedi. That was it. That's all you, that, that, I mean, she, it was clear that she was quote unquote, the leader of the rebellion. She was passing on information as they're getting ready to make the raid on the Death Star 2. And that's it. That's all you ever see from her. I know she appeared briefly in uh, Rebels. She was in, she was in episode two and episode three. True, so, true. She was, and it was uh, so. It was same character. Was, she was, she was the same one. Same actress is what yes. I was getting at. It was yeah. it was the same actress to play her too? So like, she's literally played this role um, since two thousand and five of Mon Mothra. Um, yep. She did voices. Uh, I was looking this up. She did voice. Obviously, she played the same character in Rogue One. She did voices whenever we she did it in Rebels, and obviously she's reprising the role again. She's so good, and um, but. It was really interesting to see like the, oh, this is the life of Senator. She's in a loveless, unattached marriage. Her kid basically is like, oh, everything's always about you. You're never here. You've always got this or this going on. So it's really interesting to kind of get a feel for what her home life is like. Like, oh, this is the person that leads a rebellion. But whenever she goes home, you know, like her husband's got a gambling problem and her daughter is, you know, coming of age and is going back to some older ways from their planet that she really would prefer she didn't, but she doesn't really have a lot of say in it. It was really kind of interesting to add some depth, like a lot of depth to Mon Mothra's character. So you genuinely, truly get the feel for what her sacrifice was to get the rebellion up and off the ground. Right. And, you know, and, and, and what was interesting to me is you had a character like Luthen Royale, who is so important He's the one who's who's pulling all the strings at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the rebellion. But it's it's interesting to me to see that Luthen's strings are being pulled by somebody else who's like his like his uh, employee at the shop. <laughs> his handler is what is more. Yes, like which which almost she's seems, the one. She she's the one keeping him in check. Yes. Like, well, no, actually, she's the one who's keeping him going. Yes. You know, because you had Clea's, uh, I believe it was Clea, who talks to Val, you know, has that conversation with Val about killing Andor. And, you know, and it's it's so interesting to see all these different layers. And you're only seeing small parts of the Empire, you know. You are. And the one thing that I absolutely loved, you only ever heard Palpatine mentioned by name. Yep. And she's even... And she's even in the Senate, you know, she's even in there in, in the Senate. All right. And I you don't secretly, see Palpatine. 
secretly loved that scene secretly loved uh, maybe not secretly like internally i love because it was like you think about the u.s senate for example and i'm uh, Chris, I apologize for not being Canadian centric. I think you guys have, you know, a House of Commons, something like that along the way is something similar. But it's like the everyday run of the mill. I'm introducing a bill into it. Like how disinterested some of those other senators were. Like they literally had these little lights and they're like, yeah, I'm checking out on this. And the yeah. lights off, And I'm going to sit back and read the paper or whatever it is I'm doing. Like, I mean, that's what it would be like. That's what yeah. that is what like in, that's what galactic politics would be like. I'm going to try to introduce a bill and we're going to try to, you know, release some of the stranglehold the emperor is trying to impose here. And people are just like tuning out. Like, I love that scene so much because that's what it would be like. It wouldn't be every speech in the Senate wouldn't be the one that Amadala gives whenever the Trade Federation's embargoing her planet. Like it, they wouldn't all be like that, all dramatic like that, where all the senators are kind of there. Some of them are just the average. All right, here's a spending bill. You know, we've got it like, you know, we're, we're trying to get water off of this resource. Like those kinds of bills have to come into the Senate too. They're not all the big dramatic ones. Some but of them you, are just. Did you notice did, there's something that I don't know if people fully caught, but the Senate was like half empty. Half, yes, yeah. that's what I mean. Like half the senators weren't even there. No, 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 no. Like in what was it, episode two, episode three, you saw the Wookiees. You saw yes. all these other races of oh, beings. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's I hadn't so, thought about only that. humans seem to be uh only in humans seem to be there. Yeah, well, yeah. That goes into the you know, you gotta remember because xenophobia. Kashyyyk was attacked, you know. During uh, and I'm sure the Chakana Wookies, yeah, and I'm sure they were heavily wiped What's the word out. I'm looking for? Not, restricted is not the word I'm looking for. It's sanctioned. Yeah, but you also look at they were sold into slavery. Correct. You know, which you go back to Solo and see how Chewie and Solo met. You know, being in jail together or whatever it was. You know, in in you start two and two together in that, but you're right. That is probably the reason why, because the the emperor probably cleaned house in the senate and said, "Yeah, you don't get a senate seat. You don't get a senate seat. Oh, you were you 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 uh were or they're occupied planets or they're occupied planets, right? So they no longer have a say in anything. Yeah, that was. Then so that goes watched, back to that scene in episode four where you have Mo, you know, Moff Tarkin coming in. Uh, the emperors dissolve the Senate and he, regional governors will now take direct control over their seats. That's what it is. Right. It's all of those occupied worlds. It's just like the governor that we saw in, in Andor. There's one guy like that in all of these sectors. That they're just doing direct control for those. That, that's the that makes so much sense. The beauty of it is that's the continuity that this show is still giving to episode four, you know. Rogue One had continuity to episode four. Andor is giving continuity, good continuity in these small little Easter eggs, if you pay attention to what episode four gives us, you know, that started everything. That's when Andor is done, you know, and it's it's unbelievably awesome how how you see all of this, you know, because what's funny is so Mon Mothma if you'll recall in episode four, wasn't on Yavin, Yavin four. Yeah. Whichever. No, she was not there. She wasn't there. Right. She wasn't there on Hoth either, but she was in the fleet in episode six telling me that basically she'd been completely cast out. 
and by episode six. Oh, by that point in time, yeah. She had no place. And now you start to see why Mon Mothma begins to, you know, because you look at her finances, you know, she has, she's rich. She has lots of family money that she can't really even touch directly, which was another kick-ass thing, too, is how she pushed all that onto her husband. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was so, that was such that a great was move. Awesome. Right, so I, I recognize that my driver is, is working for ISB is guaranteed to listen to me. I need to come up with an excuse where 400,000 credits disappeared to. I'm just going to start throwing out my husband's gambling problem. Yep. And like, that was such a, it's one of that backdoor politics kind of stuff. Like, all right, I don't really want to make this deal with this shady businessman for my home planet because he's going to demand my daughter's hand in betrothal for to his son. So how do I get around this? How do I find a way to finagle 400,000 credits just vanishing? Oh, great. Husband's gambling debts. Great move. It was so awesome. And but that tells you how much of a shrewd politician she really is. And there's, there is an Easter egg in there that references Canto Bite. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's just like, you can't write this any better. You know, this is so well written that, yes, it's bringing new elements in, you know, new planets, new this and that, which they always do. But this shit makes sense. The big galaxy, they have to. would makes sense, though. It's, it's, It's the first show that I have watched that has made sense from start to finish. You know, you can complain about the slow start at the beginning, because it is, you know, the first two episodes are kind of slow. Because you're developing a storyline, but at the, the end of the two, that was, if I had one complaint, I would think that the, it could have gone for ten episodes, not twelve. Because I felt that there was there were some slow spots during the course. Like there definitely felt like filler episodes. No, at least but, one. But the way it's written, those those episodes that you're talking about that seem to be filler episodes actually are telling the story correctly. Yeah, and you're probably right. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you get, let's just say you take those two out, and then you have disjointed continuity within the storyline. And those two episodes, because, you know, I kind of understand what you're talking about, but they still tell the story. And they're important to the they story, do. where you don't have to go back to deleted themes to try to figure out what the hell they're talking about. Because too many movies have too many... Too many things that are, you know, are, are, you know, episode four. Who the hell was Jabba the Hutt? You know, you know, I mean, you know, because it's referenced, you know. Um, you hear him, but there's a Tashi Station. Scene. What's Tashi Station? You know, <laughs> why are you even bringing that crap up? Well, you know about it in deleted scenes. Yes. You know, because of that. You I know? still and, personally like the robot chicken. I was going to go to the Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. The power converters are the strippers. At the... Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. <laughs> so Chris, you haven't said much. Let's let's Yeah, hear I was your... gonna say it's definitely been a, a Sean and I kind of uh, gushing about the show. I really enjoyed the middle of Ando. The last episode. Uh, the I don't know, it didn't it didn't ruin it for me or anything like that. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. It was just a lot of like uh, it, it it felt like a show at that point, and it you know what I mean. It, it I don't know, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. Um, my like the world building and it's it's Star Wars and it's very different and it doesn't try too hard. It's not. It didn't lean on gimmicks like I feel like sometimes Mandalorian has been. 
Yeah. Um, but it yeah. wasn't, but, like, I don't feel like there was fun service. I don't think you know, there was any, like, any real fan service in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the only thing I could think of to me that I can think of that was fan service was Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma being in the Senate. And I don't think people would care about that too much. I think. I the think only thing that I think we probably discussed it at the time. Sorry, we would probably discuss this at the time, Sean. Um, but I, I kind of want there to be two shows. But I get why Mon Mothma's in it, but I would rather there were two shows kind of in parallel because I want I want the West Wing, but Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I agree. I want, and then I want a gritty spy thriller. Right. But I don't necessarily want them intermingled. It, it's not to do it a disservice. It doesn't really take away from the show because it was written the way it was with them all together. But that, I, yeah, everything about Mon Mothma was really, really strong. I, at, at points, it it was more compelling than the Andor storyline. Yeah, like, and that's what that goes to those dull like, points in the middle. For asking me. you a question: Do you care about Andor's sister? I care nothing about Andor's sister because no, exactly. So what? But, what was the point of the first two episodes? I, I think the point. So here's my my thoughts on it: is that that was the setup. So you're setting up why Andor killed those two cops. Mm-hmm. You're but setting you, up. You, there doesn't need to be a reason. I, I understand. I, I understand. I get that. Totally get it. But I think to- Tony Gilroy is a storyteller. And he's going to add those types of things in to propel things. And also, it also talks, it also gives Marva something later on when she tells Andor to stop looking for her, his sister. She's dead. Yeah. She doesn't exist. Well, I keep getting the feeling that that's going to be part of what happens in, uh, in yeah, season. Yeah, and, and it's fine. Like I said, I'm not attacking the show, Sean. I'm not. It's a, no, 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 no. It, no it's not. more of a, a how compelling a character Mon Mothma is compared to, like, it's not, I, I, I don't I agree. care about Andor. Andor's a vehicle I, for telling the story. That is correct. The story, the, the show's called Andor, but Andor is the same kind of character as the Millennium Falcon is. I agree. Because the Millennium Falcon is, is a character in Star Wars films. I it, agree. It's supposed totally to, agree. you know, when they talked about it, it, it is supposed to have its own personality. And it's, you know what I mean? It is a part of the story. But it's more than a prop, but it, and that's how I kind of feel about Andor. I, it's not the Indiana Jones argument of like it doesn't actually do anything. It, it's not that kind of argument, right? But the compelling parts about Andor aren't necessarily Andor himself. Like he's actually a relatively dull character for me, yeah. anyway. Like, I, I agree. Care about, I, I, I can see how people see that. You know. Yeah. And there's so much body to the show that it doesn't really matter. No, right, that yeah, I don't know. So, that, that's so it. What's, what's funny that to me is like, what's funny to me is so people when you talk about the Obi Wan show, 
you know, how many people were pissed off that it brought in so many other characters, you know, and Ed, I think you brought this up, you know, when we were talking a little bit about Obi-Wan where it almost wasn't about, it almost wasn't about Obi-Wan in a lot of ways. It was like world building for other characters. Right. Exactly. It was a jumping off point for these other characters. And I felt that Obi-Wan was a secondary character in his own show. Right. But I think now, it's interesting I, that I hold that stance and then I still feel like Andor. See, I don't feel like Andor was I don't think it was the same way with him. I don't feel like I genuinely, truly felt that he was the catalyst for all of these other stories. But he's still part of those other stories, which culminates in that final episode. Right. when All of the characters well, from all of the story all kind of culminate into one place there. When I look at Mon Mothma and Andor and the relationship that they have in this first season, it has nothing to do with Mon Mothma and Andor Andor directly, but it has to do with Mon Mothma and what she is trying to do, which then moves Andor, you know, it's, it's that kind of like your, how do you want to put it? It's like the offensive coordinator up in the booth. Who's calling the plays on the field, talking about American football here, calling the (laughs) plays on the field, but has nothing to do with the field. You know, that's how Mon Mothma felt. You know, she, her, her person on the field was Luthen Rael. Luthen connected with Andor. Luthen connected with the, the ISB agent. Luthen connected with Andor again. Luthen connected with Val. Val connected with, with Mon Mothma. You know, all of these Relate, different things. Literally. And, and that web, the web of this story is because of Andor at the end of the day, you know, Andor is the piece that moves the story along because why, why do they care about Andor after Andor leaves? You know, when Andor leaves with his money, why does Luthen care? Well, because he's seen Luthen's face and he becomes a liability. So he's a liability to get, to get that one mission to go off to, to rob the empire that he took a risk on getting someone like Andor in. And now all of a sudden he becomes a loose end. Right. But that loose end pushes that story because it pushes Val. It pushes Cinta because why are they on Andor's home planet at the end, you know, or Andor's planet at the end of the show, because they're there to kill Andor. Why was Andor on the mission in rogue one to go to the, the lab where, um, um, what's her name's dad was to kill him. Same thing, you know. These are the same types of people. These are the uh, those seedy underbelly people that the rebellion has to have. You know, Cinta and Andor are the exact same character. At the end of the day, agreed. They will murder except, whoever except they have. Cinta's much, much further down the line. Cinta is where Andor is going to get to right. by the time that Rogue One. Is right. is in in and Andor, that timeline, and Andor gets there because of Nemec and his mom. Yes, hundred percent. Losing those two people in his life, especially his mom. Like I think I, I think that Nemec was probably again that started the embers of that fire. But whenever he found out that his mom had passed away, and hearing her speech, yep. <laughs> right. Like it's interesting that like I, it's I guess it's tradition on that planet that they record something if they know that they're going to be dying soon. They record something to be played when they. That's such a cool tradition too that you 
you get cremated and then you get put into a brick and then they add your brick to the to to a wall. I think that's really kind of cool. There's so, something about that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Do Interject. you think that the people of that planet just committed genocide so they could start building? No. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It wasn't that. It's because she was the sister of whatever. I oh, can't remember what it was. Everyone called. gets made into a brick once they're done and they get used to build the city. It's pretty there's a lot of bricks in there. What did they live in before? Was it just mud huts and then they uh had a bit of a genocide, built some houses. Oh, well, that's a good tradition. <laughs> that that yeah, I that just, I guess I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. It's I fine, it. you know, whatever, whatever. But, okay. but hey, you know you know what Ca- else is pretty cool too about that planet? <laughs> Is that that's a scrapyard for the old Imperial, whatever they were called, the the original Imperial Star Wars Star Destroyers from the Clone Wars. That's what they were taking apart. Yeah, the Venators. Venators, thank you. I don't know if you knew that, Ed, but that's that's what they were destroying. Is that that's a scrapyard for the old Venator class Star Destroyers, and that's uh... also that's also why you see the scene when uh, was it Clem? Is that yeah, Clem, Marva's husband, is killed when they're in that alleyway, and you see a mixture of stormtroopers and clone troopers still. Yeah, I I did pick up on that. I hundred percent picked up on that. Yeah. That scene personally to me was was um oh god that wasn't what's there's an American Revolution that for me that smacked over an American Revolution scene. I'm trying to remember if what part in American history, but I remember there being a scene. I think it's the shot heard around the world where the, the British soldiers had fired into the fired into crowd. And like it ends up, he ends up getting killed because he's the one there trying to stop them. And it, it was just completely indiscriminate when they were firing down that alley. I thought that was, that was a really cool scene, but I did, I absolutely did pick up on the fact like, Oh wait, those are, those are clone troopers. Those yeah, aren't regular so, stormtroopers. So, so that planet is a planet that's tearing apart venerators that the clone troopers were on. While at the time now, Andor's a man, he's a grown man, they're tearing apart venerators, clone troopers don't exist anymore, they've already been deactivated, and now you're into stormtroopers. So you're also filling gaps there too of these storylines from the Clone Wars to Episode 4 of, you know, when you start to see clone troopers being phased out in the ships, the venerators. Because everybody asks, what happened to the venerators, you know, or those you know, the class of destroyers, well, they were they were not needed anymore because the Emperor wanted to go bigger and bolder, even yeah. though ultimately, supposedly, the Venerators were supposed to be a better ship overall, more power and more, you know, just a better ship from everything I've read about them, you know, than the Emperor's Star Destroyers. So I'm, I, I really enjoyed it. I, Same. I, I'm excited. I'm sad that it's, going to be another year we won't get it this year we'll get it in 2024 but i'm excited to see what they do with the three episode cycles in the show because they're going to use three episode three episodes to tell those four stories that leads up to the time of rogue one and episode four so they're each each what is it three episodes it's going to be one year and then we're going to see how this all progresses to the re- the true rebellion, you know, the rebellion that we all grew up with. <laughs> Which yeah, is what we're, it's going to be interesting. right up into it. Yeah. I just, the one thing I do like is I like consist- the consistency in the show. You know, the story was consistent 
I understand the sister thing is a little weird, but it was consistent, stayed consistent throughout. Not so much it was weird. It was more as a vehicle that, like, I understand what it's supposed to be setting up. I just, I, I care more about, like, was it always a loveless marriage? Like, with my you know, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. That, every other pinprick of a story arc is more compelling to me. Oh yeah, no. But but you know what else this this can set up is a Mon Mothma, you know, a series with a Mon Mothma. You could do a yeah. six story arc with Mon Mothma, or you could do a twelve story arc with Mon Mothma, and show what she did in all of these these middle pieces, you know. Because ultimately, I, I'm with I'm with Chris on this, and I want a West Wing style story with just yeah. like th- two seasons, three seasons of that. I, so, I agree. I do have a question for the group. Why have we not heard more about this show? Like for good or for bad? Like usually the Star Wars community is kind of like, oh, this one was really, really good. Like Mandalorian. And I'm kind of in Chris's camp. Is it really, really good? Or is just everything you got before really, really bad? And this is kind of I like. I know why I haven't heard more. Because I've stopped frequenting the internet to listen to people talk about Star Wars. Because I just got tired. It's all so tiresome. It is. Well, that's what I mean, though. So when you can have something like this that is a good show, that is well-written, it is well-acted, it was well-shot, the cinematography is amazing, the, the CGI is amazing, the score is amazing. Like, overall, the entire show is really, really good. I'm surprised I'm not hearing more positive well, uh, about it. When you talk about the score, too, did you know that the score from episode one to episode 12 is leading up to the, it's the funeral march that they had at the end in pieces throughout. Hmm. So the first 11 or the, the score for all of the episodes is actually that funeral march at Marva's funeral. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that now. I've already yes. got to go back and watch that deleted yes. scene, the, the, the end credit scene anyway. Yes, because hmm. it's, you know, it changed kind of every time and basically it was that funeral march which i thought was amazingly that's i did brilliant. not pick up that on is that. brilliant i did um, not pick up on that's good i think one of the reasons why you haven't heard as much is because there isn't much bad to say about it you know is when it you, that or you, is it just because there's not enough there's no jedi in it there's no luke well, i, I think that that's part of it i didn't really want to bring that up but no, I think I think that's I think it's a fair criticism. I think that I think that's what it is. Oh, it doesn't have lightsabers. Oh, it doesn't have space wizards. Um, well, when when you so? so well when I when I so I do still I watch certain you know streamers you know people who are on YouTube that talk about Star Wars stuff. But I think this. I think that that show. Of course, everybody says it was the best of the Disney Plus shows. You know, so far that's the best one that they have put out. Even better than Mando. And oh the reason, wow! Um, that, the reason yeah. why I say that, the reason why I say that, is because this is more adult content. This was adult content compared sure. to anything they've ever put out, and this kind of changes the game for Disney and Star Wars, where they can now do things that they couldn't do in the Lucasfilm era because he was making children's movies, and when they started out in the Disney era. They hadn't adjusted to, but this is literally adult content show. This is a show for adults. This isn't a show to have your kid come and, you know, I mean, if you have mature kids, yes. But 
This is a show that's more for adults. It's very much on a higher level. It's a higher concept show than even Obi-Wan was. Obi-Wan, which I thought could possibly be more higher concept, was still just Star Wars. It was still just Skywalker story Star Wars made by Disney with every flippin', you know, callback to the fanboys that you could get, you know, with Vader. Yeah, and no, I 100%, I 100% agree with that. But this but you one are right. This is this would be more like. But you like, didn't have you didn't have the Mary Sue to complain about, like you had with Ray. No, not at all. You didn't have the complaints about, you know, bastardizing Star Wars like you did in the Last Jedi with everybody complaining. Because with the exception of Andor, and I'm trying to remember, was Luthen's character in? He was not in Rogue One. Rogue One. Okay, I didn't think so. Um, so the only characters that we had seen prior to this would have been Saul Guerrero, who was in very, very little. And I think, again, Forrest Whitaker played him exactly the way he did before. And and Cassian Andor, who was arguably a, a smaller character in you had, Rogue you One. Had, so you didn't have those characters. You, that, you had Mon Mothma. Who, oh, true. That's true, too. So you had, but, and you had Melshi. And the other side to this is the fact that Rogue One was a Disney product. That was one of the first things out of the well, gate from but, Disney but they Star Wars. They introduced you to two characters, Melshi and Andor, because Melshi was one of the people that were on that last mission in Rogue One, who he meets in the prison. That's Melshi, who he escapes with. And then at the end. Oh, I didn't. Pay, yeah, I didn't. They both heads saying, hey, we need to let everybody know what they're doing here. That's Melshi. That's the sergeant that um, is dies at the bunker complex on the beach. Yeah. Oh, I remember the thing I was going to say about fan service. The only thing I would have said that was fan service in any way, shape, or form in the show um, was the K2 droids. Because you yep. almost kind of expected, I almost I almost legitimately almost expected to hear um, Alan Tudyk's voice come out of one of them. It didn't but it happen. wasn't. There wasn't. But it wasn't. No. Because nope. there's uh, there's hundreds and thousands of those K2 security droids. So yep. clearly it wasn't the one that we were thinking. But that to me, that was probably the only slight little sprinkling of a fan service at all in the show. Yeah, there really isn't any, you know, learning a little more about the ISB and, you know, how the ISB yeah. is kind of like the, the KGB, you know. That's cool. The internal politics of the ISB was quite interesting as well. It was. Yes. It really was, yeah. And, you know, then you see, what was the guy's name? Um, gosh dang it. Wolf. Uh, Wolf. He's, Wolf Raro. Um, no. The one that's that, that's it, the Wookiee, yeah. I the one that's, yeah. So, so the ISB guy that has the, he comes in, he's like the second leader guy. Dies on the Death Star. He dies on the Death Star. He's the guy in the white shirt at the council okay, meeting. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, Star. I forgot. Yeah, that counts. You know, so but you that's have like little... one of those characters that, like, unless you're like a gigantic super nerd, didn't realize was actually from episode four. You're right. And it, it, for me, it just blew right by like, oh, yeah, there's that guy. And then that was it. Yeah. That was... <laughs> and, and, and that's the that's that's the cool thing to me about all this is that they have these little callbacks. They're not gigantic. Yes. You I know, agree. you know, if you're a fan of Rogue One, you had Melshi. If you're a fan of episode four, you had whatever his name was. Um, Ah, I wish I could remember his name. Anyway, um, you know, oh, I'm look it up. You you have Mon Mothma in the Senate. If you're a Clone Wars fan, like you said, you had the droids that were you know 
basically a callback. Another one that I thought was pretty cool was uh, Andor's droid on the planet basically looked like one of the droids from the movie Black Hole. Yes. Yes. So I'm glad you're the only person that saw that. Yeah. Also so in the I, Disney movie. Yeah. So I, I just thought it was just so well done. You know, it, it it's definitely my favorite Star Wars series and almost my favorite Star Wars over. I still like Rogue oh, One. Oh, Colonel Wolf Yularen. Yularen. Thank yeah. you. Wolf Thank you. Yularen. I couldn't yeah. find it. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I mean, it's, I'm having they, a startling realization here that the the stuff that I really, really like from Disney has all involved non-Jedi, non-canonical characters. I really liked Rogue One. I really liked this. Um, and admittedly, it, it did deal with uh, canonical characters, but I really liked Solo. I thought that those were all good. And none of them had Jedi in any... Well, I mean, you kind of had the whole thing with uh, Maul at the end of of um of, of um solo but yeah but that I was just a, to recognize just a hair that's of I feel. good yeah, just a hair of it. good you're falling into my plan <laughs> just a good. hair of it yes but that seems to be where they shine in my opinion is, is is and don't get me wrong i like the mandalorian i do realize there is some parts of it that are a little bit over over fan servicey i get it but One of the reasons why of, one of the reasons why I'm not as up on it because I'm not a huge fan of Clone Wars. So I like first mm -hmm. season of Mandalorian. Second season was okay. Then you got the Dark Saber, which takes you back to Clone Wars. So I'm not a huge and Rebels, fan. Rebels, and I like that. I liked Rebels. Like I said, I'm not a huge. I I liked what the last ten episodes of Clone Wars because it talks about how Qui Gon found a way to become one with the Force and you know come back as a Force ghost. You know because it explained how Obi-Wan came back in episode you know, mm -hmm. five as a force ghost. And then, you know, so I liked those parts of it, of Clone Wars. But beyond that, it was just, I don't know. I could just never get into it. I'm not in a, a huge fan of Ahsoka. I don't think she's like a deep, compelling character. That's just me. Um, I do like the fact that she fell away from, excuse me, being a Jedi. I think that's what makes her a deep compelling character. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. inject that right there. That, that's why <laughs> I like her as a character now. You know, I didn't like her when she was in that Jedi world. Well, you know? and it depends on where you picked up on Ahsoka's character. Cause like, if you watched her throughout the Clone Wars, like in the Clone Wars movie and then the Clone Wars series. Um, well, the idea was... of Ahsoka was that you were supposed to dislike her at the start. Right. Because she, she was that bratty teenager. Flaws. Yeah, but yeah. she's supposed to be unlikable and could grow into a character you liked. Yeah, but it literally took her just not being a part of the Jedi to make her likable for me. You know, it's the the whole storyline of the Jedi, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, is <laughs> so annoying because they're supposed to be, you know, they're, they're explained in episode four as, you know, they're supposed to be spreading peace throughout the galaxy. You know, but everything we learn about Jedi in Clone Wars and Episode One, Two, Three in Clone Wars is they're all freaking generals. They're all warriors, and that's not quite how it was laid out at the beginning. You know, kind of like and, where Anakin could see, like, wait a minute, th this isn't not what the Jedi way. This is not what's supposed to happen. Yeah, I mean, and it's easy to see how he could be swayed to the dark side. You sure, know? because. 
his belief system is wrecked. He isn't, he's also still a spoiled child, you know, in his twenties, he's broken about every rule, but we kind of know Obi-Wan broke the same rules in Clone Wars. We just don't know for sure. You know, you've With, got a pretty good inkling. Yeah. You know, and when you get back to Mandalorian, I like Katie Sackhoff as an actress and I think she's Huge doing a really fan. good job. Really, really, really doing a good job in live action with her character. Agreed. But once I am again, because she was in Battlestar Galactica and I think she was amazing in that too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just at the end of the day, I'm just like, I just don't want to go back to Mandalore. You know, I don't want <laughs> to, you know, it, to me, the Mandalorian is what the book of Boba Fett should have been. You know, yeah. don't don't bring well, back Tamir Morrison at sixty. You know, yeah. recast it, recast him as the young kid that played the young kid, and you know, bring him back and have a Tales of Boba Fett. Then you don't have to worry about having a Mandalorian because you already have it. You know, you have. The I Boba still make Fett. the argument like what kills me with the Mandalorian is I love the way that season two ended because it was taking. I baby hated Yoda. it. Well, it was taking baby. It was taking baby Yoda. Oh, my point. Baby Yoda was the the carrying force. Everyone talked. That's all they ever oh, talked yeah, about. Yeah. Nobody ever talked about the Mandalorian. It was always baby Yoda. It's the baby Yoda show. So they were taking baby Yoda out of the show, and I was like, okay, good. Now we can just move on to just focusing on Din Djarin and his story and what's going on moving forward. And that's kind of where Book of Boba Fett, among the other things I did that I did not care for, was it not only brought Baby Yoda back into the story, but it also put it back into the Mandalorian story, which is not what yep. I wanted. Like, yep. I wanted him to stay with Luke and train as a Jedi. Or really, truthfully, I didn't, from I the didn't story. Want, I didn't want Luke at all. I wanted I wanted him to go with Ahsoka, because I thought that would have been great. But of course, Ahsoka is not a Jedi, so she can't train him. I get that. But you get what I mean, you know, it's yeah, I get what you mean. I'm sorry. I absolutely jumped off off my couch whenever I saw the, the for the first when I saw that for the first time. And you're like, oh, it's an X-Ring. Oh, it's a green lightsaber. It's Luke. Like like that. And that's but well, there's a lot. There's a lot behind that. It's the character assassination, in my opinion, that was done in The Last Jedi that was carried on. And yeah, we're done. <laughs> we're wrapping this up. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> that was my no Luke. That was the Luke I wanted to see. <laughs> but at, at the end of the day, and and I'm not going to go to Last Jedi with this. Really, with that to me, what that to me was, was kind of the buyback for Vader scene at the end of Rogue One, just tearing everybody up in the hallway leading to Tantive Four. Yeah, it's like, and I just, I got, again, when I was talking about Rogue One with the, the guys at work, I said, you could have easily ripped out all, all of the Vader scenes that were in Rogue One. And we know those were put in after the fact, after mm -hmm. edits. Um and it was still would have been a great movie. Like I didn't need, it was cool that it was there. I'm not going to lie, but I didn't need Vader in that movie at all. Mm -hmm. You could, in my opinion, it would have been better if he weren't in it. Yeah. So anyway, let's, let's wrap this up. Chris is fed up with, uh, with the conversation. Uh, so I, I got done dissing as another movie. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, we've already, we've yeah, hashed it. Also so tiresome. Yeah, we've hashed oh. it so much. Well, um, Chris, do you have anything to throw out there for the uh, end of the show? Uh, just the same stuff, really. You know, thanks to all the patrons again. Um, hopefully I'll be able to get this one edited sooner than the last one, which I think I finished editing on the Tuesday morning and then had it out on like Tuesday afternoons. So it was late. But um, I said, I was just busy at the moment trying to um, do everything. 
I'm trying to be more on top of the bookkeeping because there's a heck of a lot more to do now. Um, trying to do like actual manufacturing and um, I don't have like money to pay even you know like minimum wage employees to come and put stuff together. So when I when I make a bunch of dice towers to sell to stores, I've got to sit around and make them. So it's like manager's hobby at the moment. Like, oh, look, the kids are asleep. It's ten o'clock at night. Shall we sit and assemble dice towers? Yay! But um, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, hopefully, it all kind of gets a smoother routine. But um, I have plans. I'm working on a, a written article in collaboration with um, someone else for some D&D onslaught. So there is some content going to be hitting the website again soon. And then once that starts, I'm hoping that it kind of chain reactions. I keep um, meaning to like hit Instagram again because I haven't posted any pictures of my gaming for ages. But hopefully everything starts coming back. But it's already the 28th of January. You know, I'm running out of time to it still be the start of the year. So I need to get a move on and just get it done. Oh. Yep. All right, Ed. Great to have you on the show tonight. Always great to be here. Chris, another great show. You were kind of you kind of played my role on this one, you know, kind of the quiet background guy. Well, I watched it, you know, week in, week out, every week. So I knew you guys would have had a more fresher memory of it. And... Like, yeah, this was definitely your guys' show. I was more than happy to come along for a ride. Um, I got, got to feel like a listener and be like, oh, but one of the guys is listening to, to his chatting. So it was still enjoyable. I enjoyed myself. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I wasn't going to steal all of the thunder. Occasionally, I can be quiet and let other people talk. Occasionally. <laughs> On occasion. And you were what still the what? background conscience when needed to be. <laughs> Mark it on the calendar, kids. That's right. Well, <laughs> thanks for uh, listening to our show tonight, and uh, hope everyone joins us again in two weeks. And um, hopefully, I believe Chris Chris's show is next up. week. Yeah, it's yep. Chris's. Yep. So, I have a couple of ideas. I'm not not finalized anything yet, but I, I have a couple of ideas. So we'll see how that goes. Yep. All right. Well, everyone, enjoy your the next two weeks, and we hope to have you back. And uh, everyone, play casual. Thanks for listening to a Lack of Focus podcast, brought to you by Dice Hate Productions. <laughs>